Well, good morning. As Bob just said, I'm Joan Hogan, and I'd like to welcome you to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. Rick Holm, our Prairie Doc, is in the studio, ready to answer any questions you might have of a medical nature. Dr. Holm's specialty is internal medicine. He's worked with the Avira Medical Group Brookings and has served as a clinical professor at the University of South Dakota Sanford School of Medicine. Good morning, Dr. Holm. Good morning, Joan Hogan. And as Bob just alluded to, we have two guests in our studio, and they have done a phenomenal job of spreading the word about the Brookings Community Opioid Guardianship Forum, which is upcoming actually tomorrow. With, the, with us today is Brookings County State's Attorney Terry Nesvold, Welcome to the program, Terry. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, we're happy to have you here. And with Terry is Sandra Rush, who is, I pronounced it wrong. I knew it. Uh, swoosh, Roosh, Roosh. <laughs> Sandra Roosh, Brookings Health System Quality Director. Thanks for being with us, Sandra. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, I, let's let's talk about this forum that's, cup, that's coming up tomorrow. Okay, what, what's what's happening? So we are having a number of panelists. Um, we're pulling together a variety of professionals to talk about opioids. We know it's no longer a urban problem, that it's a problem here in South Dakota, in Brookings County. And so we just wanted to create awareness and provide resources. It's going to be occurring tomorrow, um, two different time frames at noon and then again at 7 p.m. We're going to attempt to limit <laughs> our conversation to an hour. Um, <laughs> and uh, we it's going to be held at the city-county government center over um, by the courthouse there on the new building that we have on the third floor at the chambers room on, right across from Terry's office. That's correct. Uh, uh, now, uh, who are the experts? We have, I have the list here so I don't miss anyone. I will be a panelist. I believe that um, Sandra is going to facilitate some slides. Yes. Um, and then we have the sheriff, Marty, um, will be there. The, we have um, Scott Hawks from the South Dakota Division of Criminal Investigation. We have a participant from the Avera Medical Group. We have a pharmacist from Hy-Vee. We have a dentist coming to talk about um, prescribing for dental issues. We have a vet coming for people who are, um, you know, seeking medications from different outlets. And then we have a, um, the director of Essential Behavioral Health coming to talk to us about their role in the prescribing and um, just treatment and safety plans. You surprised me when you mentioned a vet. What did you mean by that? Um, I have a couple cases where people go to the veterinarian to get opioids because they've been denied from medical practitioners. Unbelievable. So you, uh, I've got a, a, an animal that's really in a lot of pain and mm -hmm. I need some narcotics. Correct. That's de called diversion, which is that uh, the biggest diversion that occurs, I think, though, are uh, elderly people who are prescribed uh, narcotics or for pain or whatever it might be, and their children or family um, uh, take it. Uh, and uh, or it doesn't end up in the hands of the people who are supposed to get it. That's called diversion. That is uh, correct. And what, uh, you know, now this is a, 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 an epidemic that's across the country. In 2017, something like 64,000 people suffocated to death from opioids. If you look at how many people died from car crashes, it's about 35,000. How many people died from alcohol abuse? Something like 35,000. Gun gun violence, something like twenty thousand. 
opioid deaths, 64,000. That is correct. And as Sandra said, it's not a big city problem. In 2016, um, Midwestern region for opioid overdoses increased 70%. So it's, it's here and it's, it's here. in our region. It's not just an inner city heroin problem. It is a Midwestern South Dakota problem. Yeah. Well, on that note, not a happy note, but we will take <laughs> our first break and we'll continue this discussion after these words. And welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I sat here listening and I realized ignorance is bliss. I was not aware, I truly can be ignorant on many things, I was not aware of the horrendous happenings with opioid overdose and other drug overdoses. Today in our studio with Dr. Holm are Terry Nesvold, who's with the Brookings County State's Attorney, and uh, Sandra Roosh, who is the Brookings Health System Quality Director. And the two of them and Dr. Holm were just mentioning different incidents and just how horrible this epidemic is. It's frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are we, pros- are we finding a lot of people who are uh addicted uh, to not only opioids but or the problems associated with um alcohol drug uh methamphetamine you know how much of our incarceration uh numbers are related to um medications or drugs or you know altering the mental status well opioids are a gateway to a lot of different drugs um we had a stat just um, where three out of four people who used heroin had misused prescription opioids first. Right. It's cheaper to get heroin. It's more pure. The high is faster. Um, and so with even the methamphetamine users, once they get to where they feel like this is, they're just got their high, someone introduces them to heroin and then they're off into the heroin but when they can't find the heroin they've got medicine cabinets where they can go and get a quick fix and we see a lot of that with the school children buying pills and $25 for um, a pill for oxy 45 for um, you know hydro so it's a, a cheap market and they they're getting it like you had mentioned before just out of medicine cabinets people aren't using them but they store them because they're prescribed by a doctor, it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But they have to remember that they're to be used for their use and not for recreation. And we do have at the sheriff's office a place where you can dispose of your um, uh, leftover, med- leftover narcotics. But also, they will take other drugs too. So they're not going to be there guarding it and saying, oh no, I don't want your fish oil tablets. You can bring anything because <laughs> we, want, we want these off the streets and off um, peop- yeah. out of people's shelves in their medicine cabinet. Sandra, you, we talk about uh, narcotics and then we talk about opioids and then uh, we talk, uh, so could you uh, differentiate or explain the definitions and so on and so forth? Absolutely. So we know um, the Controlled Substance Act and annually the legislature is updating what is falls on that list. So we have controlled medications. Um, some of them are opiates, and that would be your hydrocodone, Lortab, Vicodin, whatever you want to call it, your Dilaudids, your fentanyls. Um, there's a variety of medications on that list, but all by prescription 
from a provider, a medical provider. We also have benzodiazepines and different classes of meds that all fall into that Controlled Substance Act. And we monitor and track that pretty closely. And we rely on our pharmacy counterparts. They have a database called the um, Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. And they actually keep track of every single filled prescription um, in the state and actually in the region. There's 49 out of 50 states in the country have a database as this. And we are able to look at this database when our prescribers are prescribing opioids so they can see how many opioids or um, controlled substance actually are being prescribed to each person. So it cuts down on um, doctor shopping, if you will. And we are really encouraging people to get, if they are needing opiate medications or controlled substances, to use their primary care doctor to regulate this or a pain specialist rather than a variety of medical professionals. Um, so we want everyone to be on the same page with getting their pain under control. I'm, I'm a fan of the primary care doctor yes. and or primary care provider. And let that person be the gateway uh, if, you, if there is a need for narcotics. So I, my sense is that, um, I, and I, I struggle with pain specialists because they don't know them as well. The primary care person is mm -hmm. the one who knows the people. And I think that, sh that should be the, and it might be that you will have a primary care doctor that you don't get along with. Well, then find a new, a new, but permanent. I mean, find a new one that you like and then settle in with that person so that you have that, that n not only the person to help you uh, through pain, but to help you when there's big time problems, coordinating care uh, so that, um, that you don't end up with 14 doctors and none of them saying the right, same thing. Um, yes. you know, primary care would be a good place to start if, if there's a time and a need for an opioid. Well, obviously there's a lot of discussion on this and it would be wonderful if you could attend one of the sessions tomorrow, Thursday afternoon at one or Thursday evening at seven. But when we return, we're due to take a break. Why don't we discuss the topics that you will discuss Tomorrow, uh, there's going to be a panel when the panel discusses it so people know what to expect tomorrow. We'll be back right after these Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We're discussing today the opioid epidemic that is throughout the country and, and also in Brookings County. With us today is Terry Neswold, who's the Brookings County State's Attorney, and Sandra Roosh, who is the Brookings Health System Quality Director. Mm -hmm. They and Dr. Holm have been discussing this most important topic. Right. Um, and so, Terry, you, were, you asked me a question earlier when we... <laughs> We have a lot of conversations behind the um, when we go to break, but what, what was that question? Well, basically, when we were looking at this forum, we were talking about how did this happen, and it seemed like a lot of the research and experience that we were talking about was this all stems from the 1990s and pharma, and I was just think, asking you with your experience if, if you found that to be true. Yeah, I think there's multiple reasons. One of them is because... Uh, uh, there was a New England Journal of Medicine letter to the editor that said, no, narcotics are, are uh, not addictive. Narcotics are the same as opioids. They're, they're basically, that's just a different word for it, and people are saying opioids is a better and correct way to say it. The opioids are not addictive and that we under-treat pain. 
And then there was a big push, probably by pharma, and I can't quote it all, but they pushed that we make sure that people don't suffer with pain and that we go more aggressive for our pain relief. And then we get came up with, and I think it was pharma who came up with this, but I can't guarantee it, the 10 scale on how is your pain. Whoa, I'm, I'm an 11, with pa patients will tell me. And of course, then we're being rated as how good of a doctor we are if we're sitting, letting that patient who has a, a, a 10 on the 10 scale of pain, not relieving their pain. Now there's a couple errors in that. One is that it is so subjective. You can't, I, re I resent when people ask me the pain thing and I would I'll throw that to the hospital people. Yes. Get rid of it, just throw it out. And um, they're still d using it at the Mayo when I was there with a Whipple surgery, let me put it this way. And I refuse to say, I don't, I don't I'm feeling poorly or I'm, yeah, I'm okay, but I'm, you know, but I don't want a 10 scale. Second is that the, um, the doctors are the ones who have, and the, uh, the dentists and the physician, nurse, nurse, uh, the nurse uh, practitioner and the physici physician assistant are the ones with the prescribing pen. We're the ones who prescribed it. So I'm not saying it's all the pharmaceutical industry's fault. It's our fault, but we were pushed. No question about that in that direction. And I wanted to finally say to you, it's not a great pain medicine. Why do you think they add Tylenol to hydrocodone and oxycodone? Because they want some pain relief. Narcotics are good in stopping peristalsis. So let's say you have peristalsis is the pain when something's blocking your GI tract, right? And your gut is trying to push it down. And the, it is a, it is a anticholinergic. It stops and slows down the pushing. If, you're, if there's a blockage in the bile duct, that's a, that's a smooth muscle tube that's like uh, uh, that's a peristalsis uh, situation. If it's a blockage in the uterus trying to push a baby out, that's peristalsis. If there's a kidney stone in the ureter or the urethra or the bladder, that's, that squeezing is peristalsis. And narcotics are very effective for that. But they're not effective very well for chronic pain. They're not effective, uh, which is a different kind of thing. For neurologic pain, different kind of pain. So uh, really, we think narcotics are really great. They're great for uh, people who have an obstruction of a smooth muscle tube and a peristalsis is trying to push things down. Um, and, and it's a temporary deal when you go in and find the, the stone and remove it or you find the tumor that's blocking the GI tract or whatever. Okay, then the narcotics work. But we've been sold a bill of goods. We, there are a lot better pain medicines out there than than the narcotics actually for most of the pain that people have, particularly chronic pain. So uh, I think we need to talk about chronic pain for sure on your panel. And I do think that uh, people in general need to realize narcotics are not that great at pain medicine. Of course, can you become dependent on them? Yes, you can, very easily. And so I, I'm an advocate for being conservative with those medications. Yeah, I wanted to touch on your point when you talked about suffering. And we all know that there's a time and place for opioids or narcotics, especially with cancer pain and terminal illness. And we're not trying to um, deny that. To deny that. But uh, 
we see the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, and CMS and other regulatory agencies stepping up and taking responsibility, and we're all joining hands around this. CDC guidelines, which are almost like a Bible to us healthcare professional, we listen, uh, look at them very, very closely and take them as uh, evidence-based practice. We see them um, um, focusing rather on the zero to 10 scale, which we all don't love. Um, more towards comfort and functionality. Right. So we know that we're not going to, for some people, get their pain to zero, and that's not a realistic goal. But what is their functionality goal? Hey, I want to be able to go to my grandson's baseball game. I want to be able to garden. Okay, let's talk about how we can get you to that level um, rather than getting your pain down to zero. Right. Uh, Terry, you know, you, we, we know in 17, 64,000 people died of of, of opioids. Do you have any numbers on uh, uh, the cannabinoids, you know, marijuana? You know, that is a gateway as well, but we're, we are seeing it and they're getting statistics from Colorado and these places because, oh, it was going to solve the problem having marijuana. But what happened is medical marijuana is expensive people are still getting it illicitly and they're still getting things laced. So we've had a lot of people who are smoking marijuana, vaping marijuana, and it's laced with a fentanyl. People are buying things for the thrill and not for the use because medical marijuana has a purpose. But when, when you legislate something, the price goes up. And so what's happening in Colorado and similar states is people are still gonna go and get it illegally because it's cheaper. And then when they're getting it illegally, they're not sure what they're getting. And we've even just had as, um, a case where we had fentanyl from China, um, a case where we had the dark web and it was surprise me. So they didn't even know what, what they're, they're getting. getting. Um, Sandra was talking about pill parties the other day where they everybody pours their pills in and you grab five. So there's just we're getting details on it but it's just so cheap the wax is so potent um with the canan but my thing is with the delta 9 that is controlled one substance so it's not something you should be messing around with it's not pure marijuana it's a synthetic marijuana that we're not even sure what the repercussions are going to be at this point I'm concerned about, maybe I shouldn't be, but these vaping shops that keep opening up in the area. And I heard recently that some people will bring in some liquid that they get in Colorado and then vape it here thinking they're legal. And it's not legal to vape that. And it's it's dangerous. The problem is, is you can buy something legally in Colorado that's use here is still illegal. And what you're talking about is hash oil. And that is very, very potent. And if you're buying it in Colorado and using it here, it's illegal. And um, you know, they used to talk about e-cigarettes you know, e were bad. I remember growing up when we had the little candy cigarettes. The vaping, in my experience, has been a, a segue to just using drugs. There's really no way to uh, control these vaping stores that have opened though, huh? Legally? Well, they vape, they can vape. They can vape sweet, anything. Yes, they can vape flavor, anything. Nothing. 
nothing uh, in it, just the uh, flavor. Do you think they're I, becoming popular because people are just vaping nothing? No, I think they're they're <laughs> uh, they're coming to the marijuana thing and yeah. and uh, but nicotine too. So uh, my comment is that uh, cannabinoids are probably not a good thing for young people. Young people should be, and at something like fifty percent or more than that of the young people are are taking uh, opioids in our high schools. I mean, a huge number of, of young people are are on these drugs. Kids uh, are really um, uh, injured um, uh, emotionally. Uh, by drugs, and and I think uh, we should make a, a huge effort to try to uh, protect them as much as we can, as much as we can. Let's yes. face it; that's right. the way it is. But uh, if you know, so, so there's my comment about young people for all drugs. Yes, and we need to start younger. We need to, to let get them in. know. Yes, okay. we need to be in the middle schools because th things are happening at a younger and younger age. It's sad to know that, but we are going to take our final break. We'll continue this discussion right after these words. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. We are we are having a very interesting discussion. It's not an upper, but it's something that <laughs> needs to be. An upper isn't the right term to use. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, gals. Um, <laughs> Yes. It's not an upbeat conversation, no. but, but we do have Terry Nesvold, who's our co Brookings County State's Attorney, and Sandra Roosh, who's with the Brookings Health System. They're talking about a program tomorrow, and it will run at 1 o'clock and at 7 o'clock. They think it'll be limited to an hour. I do question that. You can leave after an hour, <laughs> yeah. but the, it's going to be followed. The panel will discuss many things followed by discussion. I can't imagine it being limited to one hour. But just during the break, Sandra mentioned that some people actually in their 30s or 40s may have started taking some type of medication and their doctor kept prescribing it. And now those women are in their 50s or 60s or 70s. And, or 70s. I think back to my daughter when she gave birth to her daughter in, uh, the daughter is now 17 years old because she was a preemie and Bridget was very, my daughter was very sick. I spent a week with her. And the day I was leaving, her husband came home from work, and she said, did you pick up my prescription? He said, oh, I forgot. I need my Percocet. It was like, what happened to my daughter? You know? <laughs> and I took Patrick aside, and I said, I am afraid to leave. She's addicted to that stuff. You promised me she's getting off it. He said, she'll be off it. Don't worry. And that would Percocet be one of these opioids? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And she really wanted her Percocet for years after. She'd talk about, are you in pain? Ask your doctor for Percocet. You know, she <laughs> thought it was the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. But fortunately, the people around her recognized that she really loved that stuff, so we made sure she didn't get any more of it. Well, uh, that's your point, isn't yeah. it, Sandra? So talk about that. I Part of my role as the quality director is staying abreast of best practices and what is the pulse of the healthcare, um, healthcare reform and whatnot. But I was surprised to see that the most common opioid addicted patient isn't our teens and it isn't our 20 year olds. It is our 65 and older white female low economic status um, patient who started those medications 10 to 20 years ago. Their pain receptors have been dulled, needing more to control their pain. On, and additionally, they probably had a loss of whether it was a child or a spouse or a loved one. So they have to deal with that mental health component of addiction. 
And um, so I was really surprised to see that this is not just a young person problem, but this no one is immune. Right. I, you know, I have to say that the other major addictive medication that is uh, out there uh, is uh, the benzodiazepines, the sleeping pills, mm-hmm. and uh, the Valiums, the uh, Ativans, yep. uh, and, um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I see that as it, do, it works the first time. It gradually loses its effect, so you need to go to a higher dose. And if you don't go to a higher dose and you just stay on it, then you think it's helping. Well, it's not really helping, but you can't get off of it because the most common withdrawal from a sleeping pill is sleeplessness. So then you're stuck on it, and these people are on it for years and years. What it does is it messes up your memory. People, and as they get older, are falling more because of it. Um, and so those are additional uh, medications that bear a great deal of, of uh, care. And I mean, I'm not saying that I haven't prescribed them. There are times when you can use them temporarily, but they should be, you should do your level best to, to get people off of them. They should not be on them for long periods of time because they bring on depression. Uh, and that's the other reason that people use them for anxiety, which is really a manifestation of depression many times. Well, we appreciate this discussion, and we really encourage anyone with an interest in this, and I think just about everybody in the community should have an interest in this. It's a major concern in our community, and the Brookings Community Opioid Guardianship Forum will take place tomorrow at the Brookings City and County Government Center on the third floor. I bet there's an elevator. Right? Yes, there is oh, an elevator. Because there <laughs> there's older people who might want that elevator. It's two supposedly one-hour sessions at noon and at 7. Noon Primarily about opioid uh, overuse in South Dakota. And also, Dr. Holm, I know tomorrow night that uh, your program on television at 7 o'clock in South Dakota Public Television will be with Paul Johnson, who wants to talk about bugs around us that bug us. Yes. Uh, You know, Paul is such a character. We've had him on this show a couple times, and we've had him on the TV show. And it's wonderful to talk about... Um, the bugs. He's a bug lover, by the way. He doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't hate bugs. Um, even if you talk mosquitoes, he doesn't. It doesn't seem to raise his eyebrow very high. I mean, you know, he he loves bugs, and that's why he's an um, entomologist. Uh, and uh, it's a wonderful show. It's a pre-recorded show. The la- uh, two, uh, the last pre-recorded show, and then and then we're. We're almost You're off. You're going to be doing a live show next week, then. Well, we're going to do a re- recorded show. We're bumped. Uh, we have students, but we don't have the. I think it's a fundraising. We're not on week. the air. There's a fundraising. The following week is Maggie Callanan about end that of life care. That would be exciting. Oh. Which yes. will, awesome. and by the way, we're inviting people to to uh, attend. Uh, you don't have to be a nurse or a, uh, a, a hospice nurse to go to talk about uh, end of life care and uh, that issue those kinds of issues um, and that's a couple of weeks from now we'll be sure uh, to mention that the again 30th, so people know the about 30th it the 30th of august okay well we do hope all of you enjoyed our prairie doc radio program and we'll listen again for prairie doc brought to you by the avira medical group brookings please follow prairie doc on facebook and youtube for free and easy access to the entire prairie doc library as always you can hear and see more from dr home online at prairiedoc.org. Don't we have a minute left, though, Bob? You have, yes, one minute. One minute. So now that was one question that came in. Let's take that question to you. Oh, my goodness. What do you think about I can't believe it's not butter? That was the question that came in. Uh, And I can believe she asked that question because it's an interesting question. (laughs) And the answer is 
uh, it is hydrogenated uh, vegetable oil. And vegetable oil, of course, is not necessarily uh, very pure. It's oftentimes very processed. And then you process it again to make it taste and look like butter. It's got more chemicals in it than Carter has little liver pills. That's an old joke. <laughs> that many kill pills. That we many, know Carter's that little many, liver pills. That many, so really the very best and safest and probably the, the uh, tastiest and best for you is butter. butter. <laughs> you got it. Butter. I mean, that's probably the least processed oil that we have. I'd recommend that. Thanks for that question. And thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Yes, Thanks thank you. And let's stay healthy out there.